stocks, bonds, ETFs, straight out of downtown Chicago. This is Zach's Market Edge. Welcome to Zach's Market Edge, the podcast about investing in your life. I'm your host, Tracy Reinick, and this week I'm joined by Zach's stock strategist, Andrew Rocco, who is also the editor of the Technology Innovators Portfolio here at Zach's, to talk about your loser stocks. I know none of us want to talk about this kind of thing, but... A lot of us are in the situation where maybe we bought a stock during the pandemic when times were good, and maybe we bought as you know some of these stocks were peaking. Then we had the big sell-off in 2022. A lot of the stocks came, you know, far down, and now we're kind of wondering what should we do? Should we buy more? Should we just do nothing and hold it, or should we sell and look elsewhere? So I invited Andrew on board this week because he is our tech uh, specialist, and a lot of these stocks, but not all of them, are kind of tech-related or the growth stocks, many of which were in technology. So welcome, Andrew. Hey, Tracy. Always great to be with you. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, this is a, an important topic here as we end 2023, because I've been getting these questions on Twitter from just random people like, I own whatever stock it is, some kind of growthy tech stock, and I don't know what to do. I'm, I'm down big because I bought at the peak in 2021, and some of them have had nice rallies this year too, which is also kind of adding a, another layer on top of the unknowns <laughs> that are out there. And so they're like, should I just keep, keep holding it? What, what is, what should I do? And I feel like one of the hardest things in investing is really um, knowing what to do with a, like, as I call them loser stocks, because we all get in one of these eventually. Um, you know, even Warren Buffett, IBM was basically a loser stock for him. And finally, he just ended up getting out of it completely and wrote it off and was like, oh, well, and he did take a loss in it. So, um, you know, and, and we've seen this kind of uh, big bull with a big pullback before. You and I were talking about it before we even came on this podcast about Microsoft. It's kind of like the... The, the best example you can get of this type of phenomenon where everybody piled in in like 19, you know, 98, 99, or even that whole decade, the stock was up uh, 8,000% in the decades of the 1990s. And so that was, it was just tremendous. You heard all this talk about the Microsoft millionaires. We all wanted to be one. So a lot of us got in uh, towards the end of that bull market. And just as we just saw happen during the pandemic as well with a lot of stocks. And then Microsoft sold off in the dot-com bust, but it didn't, it didn't do anything for like a, a long time. Um, I looked up the 2000 to 2010 returns for Microsoft because um, I met, I've mentioned many times in this podcast, I bought Microsoft after it started to decline in, I, I believe it was like 2000 or for sure 2001, I was buying some shares. I had opened up at the time was called a share builder account. That was a new type of account where you could just 
put a hundred bucks in and buy as many shares of whatever stock you wanted for fairly cheap. Um, it's, it has since been bought out by E-Trade, by the way, so no longer exists, but it was a cool like little trading platform. And why would I not buy Microsoft? It come down off the highs like we've seen right now. A lot of these stocks have come down off their 2021 highs. Uh, you know, it had a great business still. It was still making plenty of money. And so I kept buying. I was doing the dollar cost averaging thing in my share builder. I bought in 2021, you know, or 20 or 2001, 2002, 2003. I kept going. But if you take a look at the stock from 2000 to 2010, which did include the financial crisis sell off, um, Microsoft shares are down. Um, I wrote it down. Let me look. They're down 51.7% in that 10-year time period, not including any dividends or anything. And the S&P was down 24.8%. So even worse than the S&P. And I actually ended up selling out of Microsoft in, I want to say, I never remember when it was. It was like 2005 or 2006, somewhere in there, because I just couldn't, it kept going down and then went sideways for for seemingly forever didn't do anything. And there were other stocks and other industries that were bullish in that time period, especially like home builders, Home Depot, stuff like that. And so I ended up getting out of it at that point. So that was my own experience with, you know, buying. I didn't even buy at the top. I was buying as it was a decline. So there's going to be some of those people listening to this podcast too, who, you know, maybe didn't buy Shopify at the peak, but now they're wondering, hey, maybe this is a deal too. Maybe I should be buying it here um, now that it's come down so much over the last two years. So um, Microsoft, what what is your take on, is that a good example? Are we at like another similar crossroads with some of these stocks that was similar to what happened to Microsoft, you know, over 20 years ago now? Yeah. So, so the first thing I would like to point out is this is a monthly chart. So just to give everyone an example of how debilitating that range was, each one of those bars is one month. So like that's like half my trading career right there. It's been in that range and then finally came out of it. Um, and, and what I want people to understand is that uh, most growth stocks, they're going to correct 70 to 90% off their highs in, in these bull markets. And we're in a bull market right now, in my opinion. So eventually these are going to break and they're going to correct 70 to 90%. Many of them will never get to those highs. So I would say Microsoft is the exception. This is not the norm that they would ever even come back to those highs. Um, I, you know, we could name growth stocks that, that never came back or even Cisco, I don't think has hit its all time highs from that time period yet. So, so, yeah, I would first uh, want to tell people to, if, if you're stuck in one of these stocks, figure out why you got there. Did you not have a stop loss? And everyone's going to have their own strategy. So I never want to push a strategy on someone. But I know personally, I'm not going to be able to sit through one of these multi-year pullbacks. So I have uh, a stop loss. I use moving averages. There's certain things so that I don't get stuck in one of these stocks. But again, I want to stress that the majority of these are not going to come back. Now, if you are stuck in one, or if you're looking at one of these stocks that have come way off the top, I think the most unbiased way to do it 
is pretend you don't own it and just take it on a stock by stock basis, size up the business, size up the fundamentals, size up the technicals, and then make a decision based on that. Because always remember that, of course, there's an opportunity cost to holding something that's in one of these 15 year periods. I mean, uh, for example, on the Microsoft, like a money market account, real estate, there's always other options to do with your money, even though it's come off the top if you bought at those highs. So you want to take the opportunity cost just because you own it and maybe it will come back, but it, it, how long will it come back? So uh, I would say the best way to go about it is, is a case by case basis. And then, of course, study your mistakes from the past and, and see what kind of got you into that situation. Yeah, that's some good advice. And um, I, I find it interesting that you're saying that Microsoft is basically an anomaly, like what what has happened with it and how it has uh, busted out again, as you can see on the chart that we're showing on the video podcast. Um, you know, it, it did hit its 2000 highs again in 2013, and then it did manage to keep going and is still hitting new highs yet again here in 2023. But most of them, um, and there are many from the dot com. I want to say, you know, stocks like AOL or Yahoo. Yahoo used to be, you know, a regular publicly traded stock, and none of them ever got back to those bubble valuations. Um, and some of them, you know, they got bought out or whatever happened to them. They're not even around really anymore. So, that's good advice. I, I also think a lot of people just really have to think about what is their investing plan? Did they get into one of these stocks to trade it? Did they think, like many of us thought in 2021, hey, I could get rich off this. Like, I, I'm going to get in this right now. But then they got kind of caught in the sell off and now they're kind of stuck in there. But what is the goal for that? Now, I guess the goal is not. They can't get rich, at least not right now, <laughs> off of that. So, um, you know, they have to go back and reexamine what, why are they in this stock? What is their goal for this investment or trade? And are they getting, you know, doing anything to get close to that goal? Because um, some of these, like I said, even my own experience, and I am a buy and hold investor, and it, it was it was very brutal there in all those years. And then they finally started paying a dividend. So at least I had that. At least you got something. But the same with Cisco. They finally started paying the dividend too, just to keep investors around. But, um, you know, you have to examine on your own is, is even a stock with a dividend that's going nowhere worth it when you have money market accounts paying you four or 5% right now, um, CDs, other things, as you mentioned earlier. So yeah, Microsoft, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, you know, if only I would have bought back then and held on, but holding on for this 15 year trading range that you're showing on the monthly basis here on the chart, like that, that is not easy. That is, you know, I don't know which is worse, like having a loser stock that, you know, continues to sink or one that sank and then just goes sideways for forever. Yeah. I don't know. At least, so like, at least with hard. the loser, you get the, the feedback kind of right away. 
Um, what I would say from like a first principles perspective is ultimately, of course, earnings are going to drive stocks in the long run. And to stay atop one of these industries, these high tech industries, you have to keep innovating and you have to remain on top. I mean, if you look at even uh, like ancient Egypt, they, they built the pyramids, which I don't even know if we could build them today, but they were, you know, a dynasty and eventually they went out and, and then you had Rome and Greek, the, the Greeks and the same with the market. AOL was at the top of, of the Internet space and then they innovated on top of that. So that's why I think many of these won't come back. And you really want to make sure that they're the top innovator, they're, they're the top uh, fundamental stock in that particular industry or else it, it could turn out to be one of these dead stocks for a while, of course. As we mentioned, Microsoft is the exception. They continue to innovate with uh, OpenAI and ChatGPT, and and they have new uh, earnings and revenue streams coming in. Yeah, um, let's let's talk about some specific stocks because uh, I've been getting questions about some of these on Twitter, and we chose five stocks for this podcast that a lot of people own. They're they're all tech except for one. We did, we did stray briefly. Um, but there were a lot of choices. So we did have to narrow it down. So, um, we feel your pain. Many of us own a lot of these kind of growth stocks that had the big boom and now have had the bust. So we're all in the same situation. That's what really why I want to do this podcast. But let's start with the one that I'm getting the most questions about. And it is Shopify ticker S H O P. And you're putting up the chart here and five year return. It's still up 378%. So if, you know, years ago you decided to get in this one, you're still, you're look, you're still doing well. Um, two years though, down 53.7%. But this year it has rebounded off of its 2022 lows and it's doubled this year. Um, but again, still well below its all time high. Um, earnings expected to rebound a bit here. It looks like, uh, going from four cents last year to 54 cents this year and up to 80 cents for next year. That means it's not really a cheap stock, but we don't care. We're not really concerned about that on this podcast, but it is trading with a PE of 137. It's always been expensive. Um, I just saw the Shopify CEO on um, CNBC around the Black Friday, Cyber Monday, and they were touting real good numbers, record uh, revenue on um, sales on that good fr or the Black Friday. So what's your take on something like Shopify? Yeah. So uh, first off, I would like to just talk about kind of this move that occurred. And for those of you watching, you can see it on the screen. For those of you who are not, it, it had this massive move from about 50 to 175 in the kind of go-go uh, post-pandemic bull market. And in my opinion, for this particular stock, what happened is a lot of their earnings just kind of got pushed forward. And COVID was obviously truly a unique time period. They say, you know, history doesn't always repeat. It rhymes. I don't know if in the modern era, if we had anything like COVID, because remember, everyone was staying at home. They were getting these checks from the government. So you can't leave your house. You have some extra spending money. What are you going to do? You're going to do e-commerce. So, and of course, Shopify is involved in, 
e-commerce and helping people set up their online shops. So what I think happened in the case of Shopify, I don't think their business ever really soured too much. What I think happened is a lot of those earnings were pulled forward from that rare phenomenon of people forced to stay home. They have all this money to spend. And then kind of when things normalized, you talked about that PE and we know when a, when a market turns bearish, they're going to hammer those high PE stocks. And I think that's exactly what happened with Shopify. But one thing I would say is years ago, Amazon tried to kind of make a competitor and kind of just cut out Shopify and they weren't able to. So I know their CEO, he's one of the most brilliant minds on Wall Street. And uh, I, th I think their business is for real. I think what simply happened is those earnings got pushed forward in the case of Shopify. Okay. So, um, yeah, I'm pretty much in agreement that Shopify is still one of the leaders in what it's doing. And, um, you know, that growth and everything is still there. Um, so it sounds kind of like you are in the maybe buy more category in this one, maybe dollar cost average into this one. Uh, um, is that right? Yeah. So it has had that big move on earnings. It, it, uh, gapped up off of earnings. Let's see if I put it. No, I didn't. Okay. But yeah, it, it gapped up after its earnings report on massive volume. So I look at that as bullish. A lot of times these stocks, they tend to drift after earnings after they gap up and that has happened. It is a bit stretched in the short term. So I think DCA is a decent way to go about it or wait for a short term pullback and a, a kind of a better uh, technical setup where the risk reward is a little bit um, better maybe let a moving average catch up or let the price flatten out. I don't like chasing stuff even in the short term when it's sticking straight up personally. But I think uh, depending on your strategy, there will be ways um, to enter in in the coming months uh, for this stock. Okay. Um, on this one, I did write down the price to sales ratio um, because I was curious because the PE doesn't always tell you everything. And um, I see that you brought the chart with it too. So what what does this tell us? Why would we need to look at this? Yeah, so the, the price to sales ratio is at the lowest levels that it's uh, been at, or basically the same level since when the company went public in 2015, 2016 area. And since then they've grown their earnings a ton. So I look at this as sort of a grow, uh, GARP Play, which is growth at a reasonable price. It kind of has some of those growthy aspects because as you mentioned, the earnings are turning up and then it does kind of have some of those value aspects, not from a PE standpoint, from but from a PS uh, standpoint. So I look at it as kind of a, a nice co uh, combination and even a reversion to the mean trade will, will get you uh, some nice gains in something like Shopify, in my opinion. Okay. Uh, at least we're starting off kind of positive here yeah. <laughs> the podcast. Yep. Um, okay, let's switch over to Twilio, ticker T-W-L-O. And Twilio, I never really know what does it do. Um, I'm always kind of like, you know, I know it's, it's in the tech. It's like communications, right? But everybody was in it. And you brought up the chart here. Yeah, everybody was in it. Look at that spike into 2021. But now everybody's kind of out of it. Five years, these shares are now down 30.5%.
over the two-year stack, down 77.4. And year-to-date, though, they have bounced a little bit, but up just 34%. So what's your take on Twilio? Yeah, so so Twilio, they're kind of like communications. I think the the way they work is if you're on a website and you have one of those chat bots, I think they're kind of in that area uh, and a couple other areas as far as messaging, voice, video, um, websites, and, and other software. So this was another really, really growthy stock that caught on. And again, those earnings were, were brought forward. In the case of Twilio, I don't know if you saw it this morning, actually, but an activist of investor, they took on, I think it was a four and a half percent stake in the stock and they're, they're pushing to get it bought out. So that was something I know we planned this a couple of days ago, but that was something that just came out today that could potentially be a catalyst. Um, but yeah, so I would say I really want to see it kind of take out this 10-month moving average that you see on your chart. It's it's respected it on the way up, and now it's respecting it on the downside. I think if it can take out that area, it will gain some momentum additionally on top of the potential buyout. But that could, I, I think that's a real positive for the stock, and it could put a floor underneath it. If, if people are worried that they're going to get bought out, it, it might attract less shorts and it could boost the stock at least over the next, let's say, four to six months. Um, is this one that if you did buy it, say, in 2020 or 2021, um, that you should just uh, take your losses and move on? In hindsight, of course, you should have done that a while ago because, man, if you bought this, right. if you bought this in 2021 at 400, you're, you're pretty much wiped out. So. I, I would, yeah, I, I would look at it on a case by case basis, but I would tell myself never do that again. Have some sort of of risk management in place, and again, I have my own risk management. Everyone's going to have their own, depending on the type of investor you are. Um, but if you were buying it in the four hundred range, chances are you're someone like me who's playing off momentum. They're playing off growth, and they're playing off a bull market. And I always say, don't. Uh, you know, construe brains with a bull market. As soon as that music stops, they're just going to, again, pummel these high valuation stocks. When the, when the music's going, these stocks are going to outperform by a factor of three to one. Same thing on the downside. So you need to have some sort of yellow light or red light that gets you out of these stocks, whether it be a, a stop loss or a moving average. Um, one of those, I think, would help a lot of people to avoid that. But for now, I, I think the stock is looking a lot better. It still trades a little bit volatile. So that's one thing to consider. It's not going to trade as smoothly as a low beta stock like a Microsoft. Um, so I always like to consider my portfolio construction. If I have um, a bunch of Twilio's that are super volatile and moving five or 10% per day, it's going to be harder to manage that portfolio um, you know, versus a portfolio that has a Microsoft and an Amazon where it's a little bit more smoother sailing. Okay. Uh, what do valuations look like on Twilio? Are they, are they decent now that it's, you know, crashed down?
Yeah. I see the big F. The big F is staring at us for the value. <laughs> That's the lowest. So it seems like it's still pretty expensive here. Yeah, I would I would personally probably go with a Shopify over the Twilio. In my opinion, it's it's a more of an institutional quality stock. They have a, a larger foothold in their, their industry. Okay. So let's move on to fintech and PayPal. PYPL is the ticker there. And I've talked about PayPal numerous times now um, on various of my podcasts because it's down 33.2% over the five-year period. That's pretty terrible. So it hasn't really had any kind of rebound or not much of one. Two years now, it's down almost 70% in the two-year period. Year to date, it's still down, but it is off the recent lows, but still down 19.4%. So PayPal doesn't appear to have found its bottom yet, like some of the others have done and have rebounded significantly this year. It's still still seemingly to be sliding here. So this is an even more difficult one because, um, I don't know, I just feel like PayPal was such a big deal during the pandemic and it was such, you know, uh, got it, it too got a lot of business pulled forward to them. And now it's just completely collapsed. And I feel like people, investors are abandoning ship now on it. And rightly so with this chart and uh, how poorly it's doing. But it's really cheap now, even for a, like a true value investor. It has a PE of only 11, a peg of 0.7, and earnings aren't looking too bad. But I keep hearing all the analysts saying, oh, earnings are expected to slow. And they are into next year. They're expected to grow 20% this year, just 11.5% next year. But the whole point of that would be, well, I'm only paying you know 11 times to get it now, I'm not paying 20 times or 50 times, then I wouldn't be buying it. But at those low valuations, at some point, this is starting to look attractive or or maybe I'm just missing some other part of the story. Yeah. So I would say that it, it really depends on kind of the type of investor that you are. If you're a deep value investor, it's hard to find a better deal, as you say. Uh, for me, I'm someone who buys uptrends and and not necessarily has to be at 52-week highs, but it has to at least have gotten over the 200-day moving average, which is this blue line uh, that I show on the chart that we're viewing here. And as you can see, it's, it's bumped its head three times on that. So it's really stretched to the downside. Uh, for me, I, I like to say sometimes when you're picking bottoms, all you end up is with is sticky fingers. There's stinky fingers. So for me, I've just gone through that too many times and, and, and it hasn't worked for me. So for my style, I don't have the patience. I don't have the kind of risk that allows me to DCA into these stocks with conviction. But if you're a deep value investor, you believe in the story, it has a lot of room to kind of slingshot back. I mean, even if it does get to that 200-day moving average, that would be a nice uh, trade from here, depending on your time frame. So um, for me, it would not be a trade uh, because it's stuck in this downtrend. And um, I don't know the whole reasoning why that valuation has got slimmed. I think there's some competition that has come into it. 
Um, but that's kind of what I see as far as, as PayPal goes. I would also point out, I just wanted to show this next slide where we show our uh, earnings surprises. So they've surprised on earnings for one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, six, seven or eight quarters in a row. They beat Zach's consensus estimates. And the NASDAQ has been flying higher this whole time. So I would ask myself, why is this stock not moving up? If they're beating earnings, if it's got that strong market backdrop, um, that would be of a, a concern for me. Yeah, because on this chart that you're showing with those earnings surprises, you have the earnings consensus on there too. And we can see it, you know, getting higher each year. Even 2025 is expected to see some nice growth there. But for whatever reason, the market is rejecting this and it's still selling off. I went and I looked, took a look at the SEC website to see if any insiders were buying here. Um, I haven't seen them come across my screen for the insider trader, but um, that doesn't necessarily mean there aren't some insiders buying there. It just could mean like the rank isn't correct or something. And so I haven't seen it. But um, no, there there are no insider buys here either. And I always have to ask when a stock looks like this and continues to hit these new lows. I mean, you should be excited if you're an insider at five-year lows. This is your chance. If the, if the business is so good um, or even just doing double-digit earnings growth, why would I not want to get it? here at this cheap because we know what it's doing behind the scenes and that it's not as grim as everybody says, but yet there's not a single insider that has bought since um, like late summer is only, I only went back to look at like August, but the shares had been sinking further since then. And they reported earnings usually after an earnings report is when the window to open or, uh, you know, to buy again opens up and still it's been silent over there. So what's with that? Why, where's the CEO? Where are the, the, uh, members of the board? They don't see any value here, even though it's trading at 11 times, apparently not. So I do look at the insider buys on some stocks like this because I just feel like, why should I be buying if they're not? If they don't even believe to put their own money in it, why am I going to do it? So that's another uh, little thing uh, that people can do if you're wondering, like, what is going on with this company? Should I stay in it? Should I buy it here? Well, go to look and see what the actual people who work there are doing. And sometimes, you know, you get some clues about what's going on behind the scenes. So that makes me... a pause a bit on PayPal that nobody is buying in, even though the stock continues to sink. Yeah. And I always say, in, I agree, insider buys have more relevance over insider sells for me, because sometimes for a sell, it's a planned sell, it's for tax purposes, it's to buy a house, things happen in life. But for a buy, there's, there's only one reason if you're an insider and you're buying a stock, you think the stock is going to go up and you have that insider information. Also, some of the industry peers like Shift4, they're not direct competitors, but they're in the payments business. We saw Affirm's been really strong, Stone Co. All of those stocks are going up. Personally, I like to say I just like to get bad on the ball. I want to be in the easy trades. I don't want to pick up pennies in front of a steamroller. So for me, that would this stock would be along those lines. But again, 
it from the price to book ratio, which I just put up on the screen here, it is at all time lows or uh, at lows over the past five years. So things could turn in a hurry. But yeah, I'd like to see some sort of proof, whether it be technicals or uh, we see that insider buying to get me excited about the stock again. This price to book chart is kind of uh, the classic for a value stock. It was a growth. It crashed down and now uh, the market is rejecting it. And that's what happens to actual value stocks. So PayPal, um, maybe it's being rejected even further because the growth buyers don't want anything to do with it. But the value buyers are kind of leery of it, too. So it's kind of has nowhere. It's in nowhere's land right now. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, let's switch um, away from tech. This is the one stock that we both thought should be included here, although we did debate whether or not to do Moderna, but we decided on Pfizer because Pfizer too had the big uh, boost during the pandemic. Obviously, it was making the vaccine. A lot of people bought all the vaccine makers like Moderna and Pfizer, but now the shares have come way down as well. So five years, uh, the shares are now down 31.7%. I think that's a surprise to most people if they don't own this stock. If you own it, you know what's going on. But everybody else kind of should be, you know, kind of surprised by that. Two years now, it's down 44.5. And year to date, almost the same, down 41.5. And I see you put up the chart for Pfizer and it is ticker PFE. And you can just see it's like down, down, down. This is another one that is like PayPal where the momentum is not to the upside right here. It is definitely down. Um, what do you what do you think about Pfizer? Yeah, so I think the main driver of, of Pfizer shares was obviously the COVID vaccine, which that's what you could see if you're looking at the chart or if you're not in March, the shares, March of 2020, the shares started to spike up after rumors that they had a COVID vaccine. And then they just took off from, let's see, they went from about 35 up to, to 60-ish in the, in the months after. But for years, kind of Pfizer has been that quintessential value stock where they're paying a dividend. You're going to have stability. You're not going to become a billionaire, but you're going to just kind of know what to expect. And then COVID took it out of that realm and, and again, brought those earnings forward. Um, and then earnings really began to normalize once kind of COVID got behind us or, you know, people took their vaccines already. So that's kind of was the main driver. I see fewer catalysts now. And the thing about Pfizer is such a large company and they have so many drugs that in order to move the needle, you really need something that sparks something um, like that COVID vaccine to to drive the earnings. And I'm just not seeing that um, from what I've read on the company or from the numbers at this point. Yeah. If you're not in the weight loss area, which is a huge driver for some of these companies, it appears that it's going to be, then you're kind of just out there in the wilderness, you know, waiting to develop your next blockbuster drug, whether or not it's on Alzheimer's or cancer or, you know, hair loss is kind of like the next one that apparently everybody's looking at, or the weight loss, these issues. Um, yeah, I, I know a lot of people are in it for the dividend. The yield is now 5.4%. 
Uh, the dividend is a dollar sixty-four. They're only expected to make a dollar fifty-four this year. Uh, so it is, you know, they're making less than what even the dividend payout is. But um, as you can see, even your you just pulled it up. It is expected to rebound next year to three dollars and ten cents. So they would be able to cover that dividend again for next year. There's no indication that you know, they're going to be cutting the dividend on a stock like this because so many people do own it just for that dividend. But what do you do if you did buy it for the dividend, say, you know, recently, and now you're down 41%? Is this the type of stock that you should be dollar cost averaging in? Or given its performance over all these years, and it's underperformed the S&P 500 by far, even with the dividend? Is it, should you just throw in the towel? Is, is this a sell, this this type of stock? Yeah, so if I think if you're looking for stability and you're not looking to get that 40% back, then it, it's going to offer you stability. If the market takes a turn for the worse, this stock will actually outperform in my opinion. Uh, but if the bull market continues, you know, I don't think the bull market is going to lift this stock that 40%. So to get that money back, I, I don't think this is the play, especially as we talked about lax catalysts. Um, the, the, even the, the biotech sector has just gotten killed over the last few years. And this stock is right back to where it was prior to COVID. So I think investors are realizing that that uh, kind of windfall opportunity is behind the stock and they're looking for something new. I think it could stagnate over the next few years. Um, it is... Uh, relatively affordable, but trading at 19 times still. So it's not like a dirt cheap on a PE basis. And even its peg is at almost two. So it's not quite the value peg either because I look for pegs under one for the value component. But um, yeah, these are tough right now. It's tough to know because I know a lot of people, you know, they bought them years ago thinking, oh, drug stock, you know, what can go wrong there? Or, you know, it's fine. And yeah. you just kind of own it. And it's just, this one has been meandering along for a long time, but everything goes through different cycles. Right. And sometimes, you know, especially in the drug area um, and a lot of the drug stocks had been uh, struggling until just the last couple of years, even not even with the vaccine, but uh, with some of these breakthroughs on Alzheimer's drugs and now the weight loss, it has seemingly lit a fire under some of the stocks in this industry. So, um, so we'll see. Uh, we'll we'll call that one, you know, uh, still a work in progress for Pfizer ticker PFE. Okay, let's switch back over to tech again and our final stock, which is one I owned during the pandemic. It soared. It did, we did have a stop. Um, and this was in the value investor portfolio and we do have sell prices in the value investor. It did hit it. And even though I love the company, we did get out. Um, I also owned it in my own personal portfolio at that time. It, when the value investor sold out, I sold out too. And this is Pinterest, ticker P-I-N-S, the often forgotten other social media stock. But um, five years, it's up 32%. Two years, it's down 249 
And it has rebounded year to date up 32.3% now year to date. What is going on with Pinterest? What if I hadn't sold it and I still owned it in the value investor? Um, what should I do? Um, well, he, that wouldn't be very good <laughs> because this is again, one of those, one of those high valuation stocks. I just want to, you know, get this point across that if you own these high valuation growth stocks, not if, but when the, the bear market comes, which it always does on average, about three to four years, there's a bear market. They're just going to hit these stocks and they're going to go into those Pfizer kind of value stability stocks. So uh, again, I would say the first look back at what happened, where was your risk? You never want to end up bag holding a stock, especially a high valuation growth stock where the growth actually ended up slowing. Um, but if you're in it now, I would kind of actually have a bit more positive take on it. And that's because a lot of things have changed. And I think they're going to be able to turn on the profit spigot for Pinterest because um, it, it's always been a website that's been popular. You can pin, you know, fashion, recipes, travel, those sorts of things, but they've never really been able to monetize it. And now I think that they're showing that they're going to be able to get to the point where they're monetizing it. They have uh, a new partnership or a relatively new partnership with Amazon. And the, the stock was kind of stagnating and, and uh, management and investors didn't really know how it was going to work out. Um, but I kind of circled on this slide what the CEO said about it. And he said, we have a 50% increase in relevance on search and a 100% increase in relevance on related uh, items. That bodes really well for where we can go with that. So those are the biggest things to solve for. As we've been calling out, it's a multi-quarter implementation with most meaningful revenue to hit in early 2024. So um, I think that this Amazon part, uh, partnership is going to allow Pinterest to monetize rather than just people coming onto the website and pinning things and, and they're getting foot traffic. Foot traffic means nothing without monetization. And I think that's why the stock fell. Um, but this is a, a really new catalyst and it's showing up in their earnings. It's showing up in their earnings estimates going forward as well. Okay. Yeah. You're putting up the earnings estimates there. We can see 2023 expected to be up 72.6% and next year, another 18.6%. Um, that's nice growth and valuations aren't too sky high. It does trade with a PE of 30 now, but the peg is at 0.8. So you're getting both some value and the growth component. That's always nice to see. This is why I bought Pinterest uh, at the, we bought it at the start of the pandemic because all advertising was getting hit and the shares came down real cheap. And that's when we got in, but, um, and then everybody was on it. They were seeing like record levels of, you know, people engagement and all that, because what else did we have to do? We were on lockdown in our homes. So we were dreaming of things on Pinterest and it was a pretty good time period for them. But uh, when the economy and the global uh, economy reopened, then 
people started putting away the Pinterest app, so to speak, and moving out there to experiences and actually going on the vacation instead of just pinning it. Um, but one thing I think people aren't really aware of is that Pinterest is uh, global now. They have quite a big business in Europe. And I believe a couple of years ago when, when I did have to sell it out of the value investor that they were just launching in like Mexico and some Latin American countries. So, you know, it's not, even though the U S is their biggest and most lucrative market, uh, there is quite a bit of growth trajectory. If you really start to think about, you know, all of Europe being a possibility. Yeah, and I, I think that could actually be big because Latin America's, for example, has been a little bit slower to move on to uh, e-commerce and things of that nature. But you can see it happening if you look at like a Mercado Libre, which has been one of my favorite stocks to trade over the years, one of my biggest winners. Um, Mercado Libre is taking advantage of that. And for those who don't know, it's like the Amazon of, of Latin America. So yeah, I, I think that could also be another driver. So if they monetize, they expand internationally. And then one thing, one other thing I wanted to point out about their earnings is they tend to beat the estimates. So last quarter, they beat by 33%. And then the quarter before that, 75%. So the estimates are high, but they tend to outperform those high estimates. So that's another uh, positive that I'm seeing in the stock. Okay. Their, and their chart looks a little more similar to me to Shopify. Like, you know, they had the big sell-off, they hit the bottom, they're, they're rebounding off of that. They're not anywhere near their highs, their prior highs, but uh, the earnings are going in the right direction. And now that's reflected in the stock, you know, investors getting back in there. Um, I see you put up this other chart on the post earnings. Yeah. What is happening? Yeah. So I, I put up a daily chart of Pinterest and what you can see is it kind of carved out a double bottom, which is basically a W formation. I like to see the, the right side of the W undercut, which happened. And I've studied a bunch of charts and actually the most powerful chart that I've found is a double bottom, which sees a gap out. And, and usually it's due to a catalyst like earnings. So that's exactly what happened to uh, Pinterest. On its last earnings report, it gapped up 19%. Um, volume was 493% above average. So that's not someone on their Robin Hood, you know, oh, I'll buy some Pinterest. That is institutional money being put to work, uh, in, in my humble opinion. So I, I look at that as a positive, and I do have, see if I can find it. I had a precedent that I put up Let's go back to the slideshow. I just wanted to show everyone quickly for those of you who are uh, viewing it on uh, visually here. Yeah, so in, in 2016, everyone knows NVIDIA, of course, this had a similar pattern. So I'm not saying it's going to repeat, but it's a good pattern to study. It has that double bottom and then it gaps up on earnings. This was NVIDIA in 2016 and it actually went up uh, 4X after that earnings report. So just something to watch. In my view, the, the technicals are matching up with the fundamentals for Pinterest and it has some, some great catalysts. So you sound pretty optimistic on that one. Yes, I would say so, definitely. Okay. So there's some good examples of what's going on with some of these growth stocks. Um, I hope this helps some of you who are struggling or 
basically paralyzed. And I get it. I've been paralyzed too, holding on to a loser stock, wondering, will it ever come back? Thinking, oh, I have to stay in this until it comes back. But that could be Microsoft, which took 13 years to go all the way back. And some of these don't pay a dividend. Microsoft at least started paying a dividend. So you got something if you were holding on all that time. But these other ones don't even pay that. So you really have to ask yourself, what is your goal here? Um, you know, have a strategy and I guarantee you, you'll feel better even about your loser stocks if you actually have a strategy and then you put it in place. So whether or not that means, uh, you know, you're going to dollar cost average into it or I'm going to sell this, I'm going to take the loss and I'm just going to redeploy to something else. You will feel better even, even taking a loser. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure Warren Buffett felt like a relief after selling IBM. And we know he got out of the airline stocks at a loss right when COVID hit, took like a billion dollar loss there as well. But he never looked back. He redeployed. He's now getting a billion dollars a year or maybe even a quarter. I don't remember what it is in the Chevron dividend that he's now in. So there's always another trade out there and you don't have to, uh, you know, feel paralyzed or scared about any of your investments. So it's time to get a strategy and deploy it. And even though it might not have the outcome you want, we all have these, we all have losers, even the best investors. So keep that in mind. But, uh, you know, sometimes the strategy and having the plan is your friend in these instances. So let me repeat the, uh, stocks we talked about. So there was Microsoft. We talked about its saga, ticker MSFT. Then we talked about Shopify, SHOP, Twilio, TWLO, PayPal, PYPL, Pfizer, PFE, and Pinterest, PINS. And we mentioned Mercado Libre there briefly M-E-L-I is the ticker for that one if you want to go check that one out. And as always, you can find all of our podcasts here every week on Amazon Music. We're on Apple, of course, and Spotify. But get us somewhere because we're all going to be back in 2024 with some ideas on what to do with this market. Hopefully, I'll have Andrew back on. Um, he can come tell us what, what we need to know about tech into 2024 because i i feel am i right andrew i feel like 2024 could be kind of interesting in technology always is definitely yeah so be sure to get us somewhere and we'll see you again next week with some more stocks this material is being provided for informational purposes only and nothing herein constitutes investment legal accounting or tax advice or a recommendation to buy sell or hold a security do not act or rely upon the information and advice given in this podcast without seeking the services of competent and professional legal, tax, or accounting counsel. Publication and distribution of this podcast is not intended to create, and the information contained herein does not constitute an attorney-client relationship. No recommendation or advice is being given as to whether any investment or strategy is suitable for a particular investor. It should not be assumed that any investments in securities, companies, sectors, or markets identified and described were or will be profitable. All information is current as of the date herein and is subject to change without notice. Any views or opinions expressed may not reflect those of Zach's Investment Research as a whole.